It's another beautiful morning and you're listening to The Fat Boy Show right here on RX Radio. Now, journalists on Monday staged a mass walkout from Uganda Media Center boycotting a security press conference over continued harassment from security operatives. Journalists are accusing security forces of deliberately targeting them to avoid scrutiny of their actions. This follows the injuring of Ghetto TV's Ashraf Kasirye, NTV's Ali Mivure and NBS's Daniel Lutaya as they covered the National Unity Platform presidential candidate Robert Chagulani Sentamu. This incident also led to the killing of Bobby Wine's private bodyguard Frank Kalibala Senteza by security forces in Busega as is being alleged. So, here to talk to us about why the journalists on Monday staged a mass walkout and their general take on the current events surrounding the campaigns, we're joined by Robert Sempala. He is the Executive Director of the Human Rights Network for Journalists Uganda. Welcome, Robert, to The Fat Boy Show. Thank you for having me. Uh, good morning, listeners. So, um, I think let's start with the incident. Uh, uh, what happened um, to Mr. Frank Kalibala? That uh, seems to have uh, set off a wave of outrage. And uh, is this partly the reason as to why you decided enough was enough and so you walked out on Monday? Um, actually, that was um, one of the aftermaths of uh, what had happened in Massacre. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the trigger was... Um, uh, the deliberate uh, hitting of uh, a substance on uh, Ashraf Kasiri's head, mm-hmm. um, uh, making him unconscious, and uh, then bl- blood oozing out of his head. Yes. Actually, most people thought he had lost life. Actually, because the story we were hearing is that he had been shot in the head, which, yes. which uh, a lot of people were wondering how would someone survive that. It, it seemed like he was a gone case, but I'm hearing that uh, he's uh, recovering. Um, actually, he's still unconscious. He's still in ICU and uh, still struggling for his life. It took a whole five hours by the doctors who were operating on him. And uh, his skull was uh, certainly injured. Mm. So we are not sure what it's going to be like, how long it's going to take him to get out of there. Whether he's going to get out uh, on his feet or something else, we're only uh, on our knees praying for his life. So, was there a need to stage a boycott to walk out? Why not uh, sit, listen, ask questions, uh, interrogate the security people, have them, you know, put set their yeah, add, put fire to their feet and have them explain the action so that you could then engage from that level? What do you accomplish by walking out? Um, actually, it wasn't uh, an outright walkout. Initially, it was a bit of patience. Journalists kept listening to Geno uh, um, Masiko as he spoke to them. And uh, the spokesperson, uh, Madame Wafande Biekwaso. And then journalists later said, okay, you guys, we're not uh, at peace with you uh, while you're here talking to us. Uh, some of your men have attacked three of our colleagues covering a presidential candidate. And so we demand for an apology. And uh, what actions you're going to take against these Iran officers. And um, then um, General Masiko went on the defensive to accuse the journalists of being partisan and uh, patriotic. And, you know, all those are the, they are trading accusations now between themselves. Okay, that's- and that triggered now a, a kind of uh, um, violent reaction from the journalists to say, we are storming out, we can't cover you, we can't stand you, you're so insensitive, and all those things. Okay. Then all they, wa- they wanted is a simple courtesy of an apology, which was not asking for too much, given the fact that um, this was not the first time that uh, men in uniform 
were attacking journalists in the line of duty. It happened in um, Luka, in Jinja, it has happened in Gulu, it has happened in several places. Okay, so the refusal on their part to acknowledge their wrongdoing, to apologize for it, and also to bring to justice the perpetrators. These are the issues as journalists you have with the security forces, which is why you felt the need to uh, express your discontent and disappointment by... Walking out. Walking out, which is um, a very peaceful gesture of expressing um, dissatisfaction. And it is civil for people to say we are laying down our tools on you as now a person. Because this was supposed to be a security, a set of uh, the security situation uh, briefing. Now, uh, uh, mm-hmm. before you, you, you delve into the details of whatever it is that uh, you want to say, we ask you to say, we are sorry about the unfortunate incident that happened on uh, your, your, your members, your, your colleagues. And this was the expression of solidarity on the part of the journalists. Walking out was a clear manifestation of what was going on in the in, inside of these journalists. Okay, now for those of us who wish to understand the, uh, I guess, the the genesis of the strained relationship between uh, security forces and, and, and journalists. Now, you cited the uh, the officer you was, who was addressing you, Abiekwaso, uh, was saying that some of you journalists are partisan. I wonder if we can unpack that a little bit. So she seems to be implying that as journalists, collectively, you have a political stance and a bias and that this is informing the way you are framing and reporting on the issue. Are you going to tell us today that there is absolutely no possibility that that's the case? I am yet to meet a journalist, and I know many journalist friends, and I have sat in newsrooms. I am yet to meet a journalist who is not explicitly against this government. Now, they are entitled to hold that position, absolutely. If they prefer a different political paradigm, that's awesome. But... Uh, surely, why is this not acknowledged? And then doesn't it lend legitimacy to the argument that sometimes journalists may be acting in a partisan manner to um, portray events in a certain way, um, perhaps being quick to condemn rather than to be patient as investigations proceed? There seems to be a quick rush to judgment to condemn uh, security forces while at the same time not uh, equally examining actions of uh, opposition figures. Not to say that there must therefore be something wrong on the other side, but there doesn't even seem to be an attempt to question the other side. And that makes the people in the government think, yeah, you guys are against us. So why shouldn't we be against you? Or why should we care that you feel that we're against you? In the first place, let me say that the army is supposed to be extremely apolitical. The army. It's not supposed to participate in the partisan politics. True. So anything that portrays them as such is uh, a breach of uh, the UPDF code of conduct to, to, to start with. But also, I hate that narrative of uh, a blanket accusation of all journalists being partisan. The journalists who work with the vision group and they have always uh, put... If you're going to read uh, the new vision, for instance, let me give you a very clear case. Yeah. Read the new vision for the last one month. And see which story is the lead story. I understand. What I mean is... Number two, number three. You're right. I'm I'm trying to give you an impression. We we know that New Vision is a a government paper. That we know. But I'm saying that if you remove New Vision, like if you tune New Vision out, everyone else in the fraternity seems to be rooting for the other side. I completely disagree. 
but the lawyers say who he alleges must uh, must prove yes so we are yet to have a, a clear breakdown of his partisan and what constitutes journalists being partisan or against uh, what is going on so for example so for example so one of one of the uh, you're not going to give me time to explain you will just just a minute but for example one of the journalists that was injured is reporting for ghetto tv okay now it is a clearly it is a partisan network you would agree one of the journalists one I, of the journalists i don't agree i don't agree because what i know yeah when uh, the political space was opened up that is liberalization of the media in 1993 there sprang many media outlets and the feeling was that there was a multiplicity of ideas so they all have the same space within which to operate or flourish so it's not a crime for anyone to crusade for their candidate because there are those that are crusading for the incumbent and it is absolutely legal yes. and nobody would wish that they are attacked because of a, a campaign no, no, that no. seeks to 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 promote their individual candidate no. and so that should be equally accepted when somebody does it for Bobby Wine or uh, Dr Amriat Okatumba it's not a crime you don't do think, that I guess and as such mm. the police has no mandate or the army whatsoever in the constitution to descend on individuals who they think are partisan and beating them I would agree I think I think there should be no you, you, get, you get my point this, I get you there should so be no attack just fake journalists discussion. and the army is absolutely wrong to just come to the microphone to say you are partisan and so the justification for beating no you. no no I, I don't think I think okay so what's getting lost in all this is not I think the violence against journalists but I think that should be condemned in any instance where it can be established that there was direct violence against journalists by security I think I'm more trying to understand the root of the the nature of the strained relationship because I don't think this started today or yesterday yeah. it has been an ongoing strained relationship I, over the years and I'm saying just for example when we look at the case of uh, Bobby Wine's uh, bodyguard who unfortunately lost his life. So we're hearing from uh, the Bobby Wine side that uh, he was run over by a military vehicle and the military the security are saying he actually fell off the car that was moving. Now, if I'm just supposed to neutrally examine the facts, I have no way to form an opinion because I'm hearing one side saying something, I'm hearing the other side saying something. Now, so I thus rely on the journalists to add more clarity, but when I'm seeing all the journalists taking one specific side on the issue and presenting it in I, that way, every journalist will disagree with you because there are many professional journalists mm. who are doing their work both in the private and the government media houses and that has been demonstrated over time actually even the president when he comes out sometimes to complain about journalists he's not talking about everyone um he only falls short sometimes of mentioning the individuals because for in order to, for action to be taken you must have empirical evidence of whether what robert sempala is doing to say because of abcd and even point out the reason which makes you think that there's justification to believe that robert is partisan but if you just say journalists are partisan actually you are losing a point but granted journalists are partisan granted let's assume eh, you do not have any legal backing to say the army or the police are going to enforce uh, uh, the will of journalists to be changed over time because this person is uh, is say partisan beat them what the law presupposes is that this journalist is even innocent until proved guilty by a court of competent jurisdiction what you'd expect fat boy is for this journalist to be apprehended taken before a court of law and you adduce your evidence this journalist has a right to defend themselves and then a neutral arbiter 
who is uh, the trial magistrate or judge will say this is proven beyond any reasonable doubt and then convicts upon conviction a sentence will be passed and this journalist is supposed to serve a sentence that is now lawful but this thing of coming to be to tear gas to pepper spray should never be supported in any circles whether you are nrm or not uh, it, it, it it cultivates a culture of violence it cultivates a culture of abuse of the constitutionally entrenched provisions that provide for press freedom and journalist rights so if you go that side you're going to attract rage from all the journalists and no no wonder they think they think they are partisan but the best way to interest them into working with everyone else is not creating a very uncomfortable environment for them to operate okay. look at a parent who educates their child to go and practice and there they get a job and working for ghetto tv which is a lawful job for anybody absolutely yeah. and then all you say because you're working for bobby wine for ghetto tv which is not an illegal entity in Uganda because government has tried at least uh, no, tried I think to Google to say pull down these ones and Google says but we you, have you no can't, locals. You can't, you know? you can't. Okay, no so let, let me try and unpack this again. So it's, uh, I would absolutely agree that uh, no matter anyone's dispensation, ideological, if it's a journalist or anyone else, that is not a reason for why they should be specifically targeted uh, uh, by security or by anyone. They have every right to hold whatever views they have. That Let's agree on that. I guess my issue is, do you think to the extent that these um, biases uh, tend to cause the media to frame particular incidents in a certain way that, I guess, makes the government look bad, it then causes the, I guess, security of government. Is it possible that that causes government or security operatives to feel wary of a media presence in the uh, event, Um, just a moment, in the event of an altercation? Let's say... Here we are, op- where the police are trying to deal with a opposition politician. At maybe they are trying to divert him or something like this. Journalists are standing nearby. Surely, uh, would you blame the police if they thought that you know what these guys are gonna just try and make us look bad? Uh, so maybe we don't want them here. Do, do you think that might be mm, in fueling some of that tension between the security and the journalists? I. Uh yeah, I understand the predicament where the security forces are standing. When you receive orders to fire tear gas, to shoot even at people um, who sometimes are even walking away or running away from you, understand that at this point they will not even spare journalists. But we are saying that is not appropriate because the journalists that have been targeted in this regard are those that are well blended not mistaken identities. So uh, even when you are faced with a lot of difficulties as a police officer, as an army man, you are duly trained and professional to restrain yourself from attacking people who are not likely to be to be confronting you. And journalists are such people that you must preserve. Because we know that in an election, the main campaign agents or um, information agents are journalists in that regard. Yeah. And the fact that we are running a scientific campaign where the Electoral Commission has loudly and ably said the media is going to be the main campaign platform. So you do not shoot the the, 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 the agents of this information. And also, too, if you think that journalists are on the wrong side of, uh, say, the law, I would still emphasize that you arrest them and take appropriate action, not beating them out in the field. But we should also appreciate that under multi-party political dispensation, there are so many voices and the editors will want to gather all those voices in the newsroom and they will accordingly deploy their human resource in terms of money 
and personnel to go and cover. So it is absolutely wrong to see a journalist who is trailing a particular candidate and then you associate the feelings or the, or, uh, the sentiments of a politician to these particular journalists. Most of them are extremely innocent. Most of them are even apolitical. They confess not to supporting any candidate. We have seen all of them. But all they have to do is to agree to the assignments by their editors, go and work. So if now the security had issues with certain journalists, the, 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 the controlling center are the gatekeepers. The editors should be prudent. Right. The security seeks for a meeting with the gatekeepers who are the editors and lay on table this evidence to say we have issues with journalists A, B, C, D. And what the editor would do in this regard is maybe to switch the, 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 the reporter from the NRM camp to say the People Power camp or to FDC camp in order to ease the tension that is looming between the journalists and the security forces. Do you, in your condemnation of security forces, do you normally draw a distinction between incidences where... Um, it is uh, uh, perhaps a genuinely unfortunate issue, s- situation of collateral damage where a journalist just happens to be in a hot zone at a time when there is violence and gets caught up in it and could be innocently, I guess, can essentially can, might get injured in the fracas uh, unintentionally. Do you distinguish between instances like that and instances where you feel that security are saying, look, over there is a journalist, shoot him. Uh, what's your take? Is there a difference? Um, Do you acknowledge the difference? I know in such circumstances, we might want to cling on anything that uh, might seek to justify the actions of the of the police or the army. Uh, but we really understand, like I said, when it is extremely a chaotic environment, the army will be, or the, or the security forces will be out to try to, co- to control a situation and calm it down. And in that, in that regard, there are some innocent victims, and it is very understandable. And whenever that has happened, the army or the police or the security chiefs have come out to say, we are sorry about this, but we have not had this on the part of the journalists. And this is what we are, that really, what concerns us most. Because if it were the case, yeah, we would have expected at least to offer an apology yesterday to avoid a situation. Would have expected a statement from the army or the police leadership, not a tweet uh, that uh, as it was to say this did not happen. Let so-and-so bring evidence. Like uh, the police has said that uh, let Al-Mivle bring evidence. They know very well that Al-Mivle is not an investigating officer. The spokesperson of the police is not one investigating officer. The police has... I'm saying evidence of the... Of what happened. But okay. yeah, he says that well knowing that they have a fully fledged investigating department at the CID in Chibuli and anybody can be assigned and it should be this person who is fully responsible to reach out to the case to, to the victims to say, I'm handling your matter, I know you 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 tortured or something like this happened. And as such, all people with evidence would come forward to say this is what I saw, and as such compile a file that can be a basis for pursuit of justice. But that does not happen in most cases. Okay, so but we have also had so many cases because as a media rights organization, Fat Boy, we co- we document, we compile, we do research, we do fact findings, um, and we verify our information. We have produced 11 different press freedom index report that means we have produced reports for the last 11 years and they have never been disputed by anyone not the police at least they are a basis for uh, for assessment of the the press freedom situation in the country by the army by the police by parliament 
by our donors and diplomatic missions, by uh, civil society organizations, by the Uganda Human Rights Commission, and name them, media development organizations. It's the only report that is produced uh, in the country to showcase the state of media freedom. And as such, we are even not making empty or suspicious allegations against anyone. These are facts, and we have it detailed in our database of what happened we count from one to whichever number we compile in a year now if uh, if such fast uh, facts exist um why can these facts not be brought to bear in order to make a coordinated attempt at a a, a legal redress you know mm-hmm. or a legal action against the officers that you are accusing yeah. of carrying out these acts because I feel like what ends up happening is we hear from the journalists, oh, we attacked, we attacked. The police says, no, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do it. And then it's sort of just left hanging. And so it's up to the public to decide who to believe. Do you not think, as I would imagine, that journalists would have all kinds of evidence, photographic and otherwise, that could be brought before a judge so that it could aid in the prosecution of uh, officials or officers okay. who are violating your rights, who are attacking you, who are injuring you? Why, okay. why can this not happen? Um, we've made lots and lots of deliberate attempts to have the, the, the perpetrators of violence nailed and we have so many cases lying uh, within the, co- the confinements of the police, uh, the police offices, uh-huh. and they are not they are not being investigated. I do not know why the police has failed to investigate themselves because most of the guys implicated are police personnel, police officers. Yes, and I think it is a gen- general conflict of interest because their bosses deploy them to come and do what we actually see. And now they can't go around to say, now you did what I ordered you to do and I'm punishing you for it. And it's very understandable. That's why at some point we appeared before parliament and made a recommendation to the effect that uh, the professional standards unit of police, the PSU, mm. be liberated from the armpits of the police to say it should be a standalone autonomous body to investigate the wrongs of the police. So people can run there and nobody has the power to call for a file because there's a time we're handling a, uh, I think two files from Gulu and every time you would go to the police they tell you the IGP called for the for the file, the mm-hmm. former IGP and nobody has the right to question the decision of the IGP so before you know it all, the case has naturally died and in that regard we have um, um, a very big challenge with uh, impressing it upon the police leadership to investigate themselves. That's why we have run to Parliament at some point, we have run to the Human Rights Commission, mm-hmm. we have run to different centres, and we even have run to the diplomatic mission missions in here uh, to say this so-and-so has done ABCD to the journalists, and no wonder now, there are some that have been blacklisted and they cannot travel to certain countries. We own up part of the responsibility because where we fail to get justice from within the police themselves, mm-hmm. we are running. We are trying to press every button that is available to to seek to give us a bit of relief, to act as a deterrent to some of the officers. And where we are running to, we think we are getting um, some beaming light at the end of the tunnel yes. by saying so and so cannot step in our country because yes. they are violent. They will, um, export violent into those respective countries. Yes, yes. And yes. We recently saw that from the U.S. State Department. I yes, think. and recently we were meeting the new uh, the new ambassador of the U.S. Mm. Uh, here. And these are things we are talking about. Okay. So how are you going to help us? Because we know certainly that uh, most of these missions give a lot of money to our security forces, to the yeah. government. Yeah. And now we are asking them to attach human rights-based approaches on their 
on their funds to us to say we are demanding for accountability. ABCD is accused of this. How come yeah. then this position of leadership and yes. using our money for their salaries and ABCD? So it is uh, known that we have not made deliberate efforts to seek for justice using the facts that I'm mentioning here. We really have. And actually we make a chronological follow-up on these cases. Yes. Every time we produce a report, we bring back uh, to uh, like we bring up to scale what has happened since the last time we released a report and the recommendation there there was see who has implemented which recommendation okay. and who has completely failed oh, and right. in a nutshell I, I want to conclude on that point saying even journalists have made deliberate efforts to walk to the police regularly to say how far is my case we have a fledged fled, uh, legal department at our organization Human Rights Network for Genesis Uganda. And these people are always crisscrossing the streets to go to Tiburi, to go to Kampala, to go to different police stations to follow up these cases. But they do not seem to get a lot of headway because the people mandated to investigate themselves are really in a very tight corner because they can't investigate themselves. Well, uh, you know, some journalists have been saying that perhaps it might be better for the government to just come out and say, okay, we're restricting journalists. You can't go this, you can't cover this, you can't do this. Like, it, that it's better for it to be stated clearly than to give the appearance of there being freedom for journalists to operate. And yet when they get out there and try to operate, they're met with uh, all this pushback and violence. Do you think it would be better? Like in Tanzania, that's what they say. Journalists restricted. You know, case closed. So there's, you know, there's no ambiguity. Do you think that's, do you feel like uh, that's what we need here? Uh, rather uh, than the pretense of media freedom, which I guess you believe is non-existent? Yeah, uh, that would be one of the ways out. But that would be the extra, uh, ordinary last resort. Because um, where we are at, journalists and media, is an industry. People have massively invested into it. So they can't just see it collapse uh, unless government completely said, now we'd not entertain uh, media houses in this country unless they're sanctioned uh, by, uh, say, Minister of ICT or the security chief or ABC. And that's what they're trying to introduce, actually. And these most of these directives are leading to that. Most of them by UCC, by the Media Council of Uganda. Yeah, they seem uh, to be creeping industry. up slowly and slowly. Slowly by slowly. And if we, we relent on our efforts to push back, it's going to come to a time when a news, a news story will have to be vetted by a certain body before it airs. And this is where Ethiopia has um, was at, at some point yeah. at that level. Yeah, because there's a blackout. You don't know what's happening in Tigray. You can't yes. see. No reports. In that area, people now use v, will use VPN. They will use external, external centers to relay the information. What we're seeing over what is in Ethiopia today is efforts made by local people in there who have uh, connections and now relay this information. Because now the world has opened up. It's a global village. You cannot completely control what is in Uganda from the rest of the world. And uh, we're trying that, of course, to, 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 to ring face it to Uganda mm -hmm. and management by local audiences. Uh, that's why it won't, interest, it won't please you to see many journalists being uh, forced out of the country, especially international journalists. Mm -hmm. And exactly that is what we're talking about here. Though the way it manifests here in our case is a bit diplomatic. It's a bit, it's, it's a pseudo way of saying we do not want this, but we want it. <laughs> so yeah. somebody gives you, before you know it, they have taken away. Mm. So it is until we realize and all stood up to say, this is our space and we jealously guard and protect it collectively. Okay. 
Is there a safe way to do it? Um, so as unfair as it might sound, is there a way to say, okay, you know, maybe if you're a journalist and you want to cover these sorts of events, might it be wise to cover from a distance, perhaps, to, to use telescopic tools that allow you to capture what's happening, but not from too close to the action? Because I can understand as a journalist, you want the hot scoop. You want to be right there because, you know, you're news editor back at the station is going to be very happy with you. The ratings mm. will be great. So you want to be as close to it as possible. Would it help then to say, hey, maybe in the interest of safety, uh, stay a bit uh, back just so that you're not caught up in anything? Uh, yes. Is, is uh, that a fair th- suggestion or not? It is extremely fair. And uh, we carry out uh, empowerment uh, outreaches. Uh, that is building capacities of journalists. And one of the areas that we have high competencies in is safety and security of journalists. And we have given them uh, very typical examples where the best pictures have been taken by people who keep a distance, not the people who are in the thick of the chaos. Mm-hmm. So we encourage journalists to at least maintain a sizable distance from harm's way. So that um, whatever happens, maybe there's a tear gas canister, you do not lose uh, your hands or your legs because you want to shoot a picture. Mm -hmm. Yet you can equally get the same when you stand a distance. And always impresses upon journalists to to make very timely and prompt decisions on their safety. Uh, There's this notion of saying no story is worth your life. And that talk must be walked by every journalist. You do not come back to say, I lost my hand and here is the story. Everybody will say sorry, but then your hand is gone. So we are telling them, keep a distance that is uh, that is um, seemingly safe for you. Uh, run away if you must run. Take cover if you must. And at the end of the day, come back to tell a story. And the hero is the person who comes back to tell a story. Not one who is brought in the hands and say, this one failed to make it. So you will never hear your story. It's a very timely thing for you to keep away from danger and you know trade uh, accusations much later that there was a lot of violence the disproportionate force was used ABCD don't just go to confront the, the, the officers and we always discourage journalists from confronting officers in the line of duty because all you have is a pen and paper and a microphone this guy has uh, all the coercive arms of government. They have a baton, they have uh, handcuffs, they have tear gas, paper spray. They even, in the worst case scenario, can shoot you and you lose a life. So we're telling them that even when you're a journalist, please be very careful about what you say out there. You assert your position as uh, it's my right, but your right will not defend you at the end of the day. So be extremely careful, be very professional, make timely decisions. Even when you assign to the president, when you trapped up in uh, in chaos, they cannot guide you. The decision that must be made and then is yours. So we always want journalists to make um, decisions that secure them to mm-hmm. continue doing their work. So okay. I agree with you entirely that some journalists have gone a notch higher to put themselves in a risky spo- in risky spots, and that is not acceptable. One time I was talking to one of the editors, the, the managing editors of uh, one of the key media houses in this country, and the lady said, if I saw my journalists running after this and there's a lot of tear gas, I'd fire them the next day because oh, really? they're risking their, 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 their lives. And oh, that's another thing. Um, isn't uh, the employer 
in some way culpable or at least liable in the event that a journalist is injured in the line of duty. So is it even in the interest of the media company that their journalist comes back with a gunshot wound or a broken leg? Because ultimately, the company would have to compensate the journalist. So I would imagine that many media companies are not so keen on <laughs> having their a, you know, a journalist get into the line of fire. Is, is that something you've encountered? Uh, yeah, a lot more um, than even that because um, even um, m- most media companies do not have lawyers to defend their journalists. They have lawyers to defend themselves against their journalists that they employ. Oh. So the lawyers will only be had when this journalist has uh, issues with uh, contractual obligation breaches and then the lawyer will come on the side of the bosses and that's still a big challenge when we appeared before parliament with the owners of media houses under the umbrella NAB we we systematically urged the parliament to move a law that will uh, make it mandatory for every media house to have lawyers that will defend their journalists too to have um, um, insure, uh, health insurances for, for, for the staff mm-hmm. and also to pay them uh, for extra hours worked because while every employee has time to rest, journalists literally do not have. That's right. You're sleeping at your home and the editor calls you and it's business as, as usual. That's so these are things that still challenge us yeah. and need concerted efforts in making sure that we streamline uh, media practice as a profession because if it were uh, uh, categorized as a, a profession you'd have guidelines for how things are supposed to be done but yes. today every employer uh, treats their the, the employees as they so wish if you do not agree with whatever they're saying you are fired the next day and you have no redress uh, wow. as a person so it's still <laughs> a very big challenge so uh, Robert Sempala of uh, the Human Rights Network for Journalists it looks like you have your hands full protecting the rights of journalists from the state and also from their employers. Yes, both. (laughs) Even in our reports, we have now, uh, we have chapters, and one of them is uh, the internal issues within the media, Mm -hmm. where many journalists do not have contracts. Mm. Some of the media houses are too mean to even issue out an identity card to their staff, yet they consume what you bring in as uh, news. Yeah. You, you employed on air, you go on air four hours or even so, it's okay. But they are so reluctant in formalizing your employment. So it is a lot that wow. happens just so within. You, journalists offer a great service, but obviously they are not really getting the full appreciation and respect that they deserve. And so thank you so much, Robert Sempala, Executive Director of the Human Rights Network for Journalists in Uganda, standing up for the rights of journalists. I wish you well in your endeavors, and uh, I hope uh, for a more amicable relationship between yourselves and the, the security forces. Uh, although at this point, it seems like really the onus is on the security force to come clean, to be transparent, and to more respectfully engage with journalists. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I also want to invite and appeal to the security forces not to make it a face-off between the journalists and the forces. It should never be like that. It's a partnership, not the enemy. Yes, it should be a partnership. It should be a collaboration. Yeah. It should not be a marriage of convenience that when you need journalists to go and amplify your things, then you, they are the members of the fourth estate and our colleagues. And when they go to do things that um, they, they seem to, to, to have interest in, then you think they are anti-government and they are partisan, they are opposition. That will not build a democracy that is extremely sustainable. So in order, in order to build a democracy, each of the actors must be left to function. One of the key pillars of democracy is the media. And so press freedom must be seen to flourish. Okay. And there are many 
uh, agencies that can help in this work. UCC should be seen to do this work. Yeah. Media Council should be seen to do this work. And the, the, the Ministry of ICT she should not only be hard to come in to say we are not happy with the media. There should be deliberate efforts to professionalize the media. Give it a spell of time. Don't do it all in a week to say so and so misbehaved and so they should be out. Give the, the, the gradual development of the industry time and participate. Actually, we're not even seeing budgets being committed to development of the media in the country. And if anybody knows about that, then they should inform us and show us how they help the media. They are skyrocketing taxes that are really, really strangling many media houses. Mm. And media houses have cried out, but uh, who is even listening to them? So there's, there's a lot that we can do to um, profoundly grow the industry, mm -hmm. just like uh, elsewhere it has been done, even in East Africa. Wow. You go to Kenya and you see massive investments in media houses. And even when you look at the type, the, the quality of work they put out, we really think that they, we have a lot as best practices to bring down to Uganda. And um, I want to commend the members of the fourth estate, the journalists who go through thin and thick to be the eyes and ears of the public and do that systematically on a regular or on a daily. So these are, for me, gallant sons and uh, daughters of, uh, of, uh, of the country that we forget every day to praise. <laughs> like, uh, like Adobe said, they are heroes that we forget to praise every day. The oh. journalists of this world. Yeah. Thank you so much. Robert Sempala, Executive Director of the Human Rights Network for Journalists in Uganda, speaking to us here on the Fat Boy Show. All the best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.